Good morning, Discovery. My name is Yuan, also known as Yuan, and I'm one of the elders here at Discovery. Um, today, I have the privilege of kind of continuing our series in uh, wisdom uh, for us. If you're just joining us, we are currently diving into week eight of our wisdom series, and we've kind of broken up our wisdom series into kind of three uh, sections, just for simplicity. Um, the first three weeks, we spent that in Proverbs, um, what we called orientation, right? A general sense of, hey, this is how the world typically tends to work, right? Truisms about how the world works. The next three weeks we spent in Lamentations um, and what we titled Disorientation. And if you read Lamentations or you were with us through that, that's five chapters all about grief and lament, right? A really challenging and difficult time in the history of Israel. Um, where they were, their nation was falling apart, their armies were destroyed, their children were starving. And it really was a question of what do we do and what does wisdom look like when the world doesn't work the way we thought it should? Right? Um, and just what does it mean to grieve and process through that? These last three weeks um, in our wisdom series, we're going to be spending in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Steve kind of opened that up for us um, last week, and we're going to be continuing that today. And with Ecclesiastes, um, we're looking at what we're calling reorientation, right? Now that we've been through some things, we've seen some things, we recognize that the world isn't quite as black and white and, and, and simple as we thought it once was. What does wisdom look like, right? How do we rebuild from here? Where do we go? And, and I think that's what um, Ecclesiastes is kind of taking us through. Now, if you've been with us kind of through these eight weeks, if there's one thing I hope that we're taking away, it's that wisdom in uh, Hebrew scriptures is anything but simple or linear, right? When we've broken these things out into orientation, disorientation, reorientation, we aren't talking about this as some sort of linear progression. Rather, we recognize these as phases of spiritual formation, right? And each of us might be in a different place, a different phase. Uh, we might revisit these at different times in our life and in different seasons. But our hope is that as we're going through this process, um, we can go through it together, um, that we can begin to recognize where we are in these different seasons um, and be able to have grace for ourselves and for each other um, as we journey together. Um, so with that in mind, let me pray for us this morning and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for just who you are. We thank you for um, your goodness and your constant presence. Lord, and we thank you for the wisdom uh, that you have put into the world, into your scriptures, into your word, and that you invite us to come and to wrestle with you uh, in that and through that. Um, Lord, we thank you for you in all of your complexities um, and that you engage us as we are, um, both in our kind of intellect as we wrestle with that side of things, as well as our emotions as we wrestle with grief um, and just what to make of a broken world. God, <clears throat> we thank you for the hope that we have in you and just pray that um, what is shared this morning um, would really be of you, that what is on our hearts this morning as we long for more and long for eternity um, would, would point us to you and the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, we lift these things to you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I noted um, earlier, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, primarily kind of chapters 1 and 2, but we're really kind of going to be all over the book a little bit. And again, reorientation, right? The author of Ecclesiastes is someone who's been through some stuff. He's seen some things, and he's inviting us on this journey to wrestle with the big questions in life, right? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And he's on this search and this journey. Now, I think one of, when I think about where we as a culture tend to be, I think 
the Western kind of enlightenment, post-enlightenment uh, culture in us tends to want answers all the time, right? When we pose the question, what is the meaning of life? We, as Westerners, want answers, right? Just tell us the answer. And when I think about where most of us in society are coming from, most of us in the church are coming from, I think we fall in typically one of two camps, right? Either we don't like to think about these big questions because we don't feel like there are good answers, and so we choose to ignore them, right? And we focus instead on what we can control in kind of life before us. Or we try to find these answers and we end up creating kind of systems that try to answer everything about the world, the meaning of life, and the way things should work. But I think if we look at either of these scenarios, there's something in us that says, hey, there's probably more to this, right? As we looked at last week, there's something in us that says, you know what, there's probably more to life, right? That we were created for eternity and there's more to life than just what we can see, feel, and touch in front of us. At the same time, I think, you know, if we've been living in these systems that says, hey, this is how the world works, there's probably something in us that also says, you know what, I'm not quite sure it's that simple, right? I'm not quite sure I have it all figured out. I think this is where Ecclesiastes goads us and pushes us to reconsider, right? To consider, hey, is there more? And to go with him on that journey. So what is the author of Ecclesiastes doing? Well, first of all, in Ecclesiastes, there's kind of two voices, right? There's the author who gets, opens things up in verse 1 and closes things um, in the end of chapter 12. Um, and for the rest of the time, we're listening to the Kohalath, or the teacher, right? And he's sharing his experiences. He's sharing his search and taking us with him on this journey. And what this teacher is doing, right, is he's looking at life under the sun. He's looking at everything on earth that he can see from his perspective, right, from his human perspective, and searching for the big questions in life. What is the meaning of life? What is this all about? And just as we saw in the book of Lamentations, we're going to see the same thing in Ecclesiastes, right? It's less about coming to one final answer as it is going with the author on his journey, right? Just as we saw in Lamentations when they're dealing with grief and lament and how, how do we make sense of a world when things have fallen apart, Lamentations doesn't land us on a single answer, but rather it's the invitation to grieve and to lament and to process um, that the author is taking us through and the wisdom of the scriptures there. And similarly in Ecclesiastes, right, there's this invitation to ask these big questions, to ask these tough questions, and really to think through the human experience together, to think through the search for the big questions together, um, and, and to see where that takes us. So, what does the narrator in Ecclesiastes tell us? Well, he's pretty clear about his perspective, right? He opens it in the very first line and he closes it with the very first line what he says. And it's, and it's this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, right? That's the opening line and the closing line of the narrator section, of the teacher's section. Now, that's a real uplifting statement to start with, right? But what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, I think we need to understand that you know, most Bible translations that we have either have meaningless or vanities, uh, and both of those are translations, right? It's the English translate, translator doing their best to kind of make sense of the word. Um, but I think something gets lost in that translation because the word is actually hevel, right? Hevel, hevel, says the teacher, utterly hevel, everything is hevel, right? That's the Hebrew. Well, what is hevel? Hevel literally means smoke or vapor, right? It's this 
metaphor that is used throughout Ecclesiastes to kind of capture the world from the teacher's perspective, which is it's smoky, you can't really grab hold of it, you can't really make sense of it. Um, if you try to build your life on it, it's futile and meaningless, but it can also mean much more than just meaningless, right? Um, Something I always think of for that is this idea that just because something doesn't last forever doesn't mean it's meaningless, right? You guys probably see me running around all the time with my daughter Mabel and she's growing up super fast. Um, and sometimes I try to take pictures of her in order to make, you know, her babbling cuteness last forever before she grows up, right? And just because she's gonna grow up doesn't mean that this moment of her babbling cuteness is meaningless. It just means that it's not going to last. Right? And so I think we need to take a moment here to understand that the author of Ecclesiastes, when he says that everything is hevel, isn't necessarily saying it's all meaningless, but he is saying, but he does want us to see something right, about the smokiness, the vapor, the temporary nature of kind of all of this. And so there's really three things here, I think, as we look through Ecclesiastes that the author wants us to see about smoke or vapor. Right? The first is the fleeting march of time. Right? This word vapor is also used in the Psalms to talk about you know, human life, right? that we are, um, it says in Psalms, there, Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Right? This idea here that life is short. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1 opens with this. Right? He talks through the march of time that you know, look at the mountains, look at the oceans, look at the rivers, like all of that has been here and will continue to be here, you know, long after we're gone, right? And, and you know, the more we know of science, the more we know of just how vast the universe is and that human existence is a blip on the radar of kind of the cosmic timeline and your life and my life is even smaller than that tiny blip, right? And so what the author is getting at here is, hey, Life is fleeting. It's short. It comes and it goes. And in the grand scheme of things, what does your life actually matter? He then goes on, right? And that's a tough question to wrestle with. He then goes on and talks about vapor as futility, right? Vapor as this idea that it doesn't ultimately deliver. So he looks at all the things we tend to build our life on. He looks at our careers. He looks at pleasure. He looks at all the pursuits that we might try to build our life on. And he says, ultimately, it doesn't deliver, right? Again, if you look at how this word hevel is used in other parts of scripture, um, in Jeremiah and Isaiah, it's used to describe idols, right? Or when Egypt or in Israel looked to Egypt to save them from their enemies and Egypt couldn't deliver, it uses this word, it's vapor, right? In other words, you're trying to build your life on something. You're reaching out to something in hopes that this thing will come through for you. And the author here says that it is vapor, right? You try to grab it and you can't grab hold of it. It doesn't deliver. The author then goes on um, to use this analogy or metaphor of smoke and vapor to convey the idea that life is smoky or hazy, right? That you can't really make sense of it. And he talks about things like, hey, look at life, right? The fastest person doesn't always win the race. The strongest person doesn't always win the war. Right? You see you know, good things happening to bad people. You see bad things happening to good people. When you try to just step away and make sense of the world, you can't quite put your finger on it. Right? It's hevel. It's smoky. 
what is the author doing in all of this? Right? And throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes, what the author is trying to get at is get us to think about the big picture of life under the sun. Right? That from his human perspective, what is the meaning of life and what can you make sense of? And he's taking us on this journey of, some people might think it's pessimistic, but I think it's pretty realistic, right? He's just challenging us to really think through life as we see it from the human perspective. And he's challenging us to realize that, hey, all the things that we typically build our life on, all the things that we tell ourselves matter so much, in the grand scheme of things, can we make sense of it? In the grand scheme of things, do they ultimately deliver? Right? And his answer, as someone who's tried it all, thought through it all, is no. Right? You can't make sense of it. It doesn't ultimately deliver. Now we're going to pause here because he doesn't end us there, right? Ecclesiastes is actually a very hopeful book. Um, and I want us to see why. What is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, right? If life is hevel, if we can't make sense of it, if we can't grab hold of, you know, something that's going to deliver, if we can't ultimately make things last, right? What is the hope? Well, Steve alluded to it last week, right? That there's this idea of that we were made for eternity, right? That there is something more, that there's transcendence in our heart, that God has put um, eternity in our heart, that we long for something more, but we can't quite put our fingers on that. Now, I'm going to pause here because if you've grown up in Western culture, especially if you've grown up in the evangelical church, so often at this point, at this moment here, we want to jump to an answer where we see the teacher in Ecclesiastes saying that life is hevel, that life is smoky, that life is futile, the fleeting, that we can't make sense of it. And we want an answer, right? The Western Enlightenment perspective in us wants an answer. We've been taught our lives in church that we're supposed to have the answer to life's big questions. And so, so often here, we jump from, hey, life under the sun is meaningless to, but if you know Jesus, then everything's going to be great, right? If you know Jesus, then life's going to be just totally meaningful. And here's the thing, right? Yes, Jesus is the answer. And we're going to see that in more depth in a little bit. But I don't want us to jump to a simplistic Jesus is the answer type response, right? Like, yes, we know that Jesus is, you know, our wisdom. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the one that is restoring all things. But at the same time, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, or if you've been around the church, um, or if you've just lived life, you know that just because Jesus has come, just because you have a relationship with Jesus, doesn't mean that the hevel, that the smokiness and confusion of life is all gone. Right? I mean, I experience this in my life all the time, right? I know God, I know Jesus, and yet there are so many things in life that I still don't know the answers to. So many questions about why does the world this work this way? Why are there injustices here? God, what is happening, right? And not just on the intellectual side, but on the emotional experiential side too, right? There is times in my life where I'm looking at it and going, yeah, I'm walking with God and with Jesus, and yet I long for more, right? I long for more of Him, and I'm in this place where I, it's not fully satisfying just yet. I think the wisdom of Ecclesiastes then, um, if we let the author kind of speak for himself, if we let the teacher speak for himself, he doesn't land us on this, hey, Jesus is the answer and that's it kind of moment. 
And this isn't you know, just me saying this, right? You can look at Paul's writing in the New Testament, and I think it conveys the exact same idea. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have fully known. Right? Even the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, there are some things I still don't know. Even though Jesus has come, even though I'm walking with Jesus, there are some things that I still don't know. Um, he says in Philippians, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Right? Again, the Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus has come, I'm walking with him, but there's also more that I'm longing for. Right? So, why do I bring that up? It's because I don't want us to shortchange the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, right? Again, the whole idea in our wisdom series is for us to begin to realize and recognize that wisdom, biblical wisdom is a process. It's a journey. It's less about coming to, you know, black and white answers as it is journeying with God in the midst of tension. And I think that is exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to get, get us to do and to give us hope in the midst of that. So this is a surprising wisdom of Ecclesiastes, right? That he invites us to learn, to live in the midst of heaven. And I think this is a huge one, right? Because we just talked about, right? Jesus has come, but heaven exists, right? And then the author of Ecclesiastes is writing, um, or the teacher is teaching there, right? There, there's heaven everywhere. This is what he's saying, right? Life is full of heaven, full of things that don't make sense. But just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean that it's meaningless, right? Um, the author throughout, or the teacher throughout, basically points us to little moments where we can continue to enjoy God's good gifts because we have hope that one day, right, the God of justice will make all things right. right? That's how the author kind of wraps up and gets the final word, right? That one day the God of justice will make all things right. And because we have that hope of the one day future hope of all things being made right, we can walk with God in the midst of heaven, even when we don't have all things figured out. And to put it differently, the author of Ecclesiastes is doing this, right? He's inviting us to, and prodding us, really, to wrestle with life's big questions of looking at life under the sun. He invites us to, and he empathizes with our human experience of trying to figure out the meaning of life and of struggling through that. And then he lands us in this surprising spot of saying, yes, there is meaning in life, even if you don't have it all figured out. Now, is that good news? Right? I, at first, if you're looking for answers, that sounds like horrible news. Right? If you're looking for simple, just tell me the answers, Ecclesiastes lands you in a spot that you're like, wait, what? But, if you've wrestled through this with the author, if you've been humbled to see that man, yeah, like life is hevel, right? There's so much in life that I can't figure out. And then you've come and landed in this spot of hope in a God who will one day make all things right. I think the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is actually great news and freeing, right? Because what the narrator is doing here, what the author is doing here is telling us that you have permission to walk with God even when you don't have it all figured out. Right? You have permission to stop pretending like you have all the answers. You are free from the burden of having to know everything. Right? Um, 
And for me, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books because this right here was such good news to me. So I <clears throat> am an analytical thinker. I like <clears throat> to have things all figured out. Um, <clears throat> and I remember, man, I used to, I used to stay up like into the wee hours in the morning wrestling with questions like how can, you know, good things happen to bad people, right? Um, what happens to people who don't know God, right? These types of questions of like meaning of life type existential questions. And, you know, I like running too, or not running, but sprinting. I hate running. <laughs> um, but I distinctly remember like there were nights, um, you know, after college where I would be out at two, three in the morning, just doing some sprints in the grass and like thinking through these things and trying to wrestle with these things. And I think the scariest part in those moments was feeling like if I can't figure out the answer to these big questions, then I felt so far from God in those moments, right? And it was through the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and books like this and Job and the wisdom literature of scripture that I realized that, you know what? The biblical wisdom actually invites me to live in the midst of that tension, to be able to walk and to be invited, really, to walk with God, even when I don't have all the answers, right? That there's a freedom in that. You know, ultimately, right, the reason we can have that freedom is because of the hope that is yet to come. Um, we see that in Ecclesiastes. And as we come to the communion table, um, each and every week, we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. And remember this moment, um, as the moment where new creation um, begins, right? This is the moment when Jesus comes and gives literal flesh and blood to the mysterious hope that the uh, author in Ecclesiastes points to, right? And as I alluded to earlier, yes, there's still a whole bunch that we are longing for, but we are beginning to see um, how God is going to make all things new and that he does it through a, a king and Jesus who lovingly sacrifices himself for his people, um, for his creation, a King Jesus who lovingly sacrifices himself only to rise again um, in crushing sin and death and to start wiping away every tear and all that is broken. And at the same time, whenever we come to this table though, right, we eat this bread and we drink this cup in remembrance of what Jesus has done and looking forward, right, because we proclaim his death until he returns. And so there remains that hope right, in the midst of where we are today. Romans 8, Paul puts it like this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Right, you see here that even at the communion table, when we remember what Jesus has done, it's this future hope that we're still looking for, that we're still longing for, that allows us to walk with Jesus in the midst of heaven. And again, the wisdom of scriptures and the wisdom of Ecclesiastes invites us and says and tells us that, hey, it's okay to not have the answer to all of life's big questions. It's okay to not have things all figured out because our hope is in the one who does have things all figured out. 
and therefore we're invited to walk with Jesus and walk with God each and every day, um, knowing and trusting and hoping um, in new creation and what he is yet to do. So with that, um, let's take the elements, and eat the bread, um, drink the cup, remembrance of him. And let me just close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, um, again, we just come before you. And as we've, you know, so briefly um, looked at some of the Ecclesiastes this morning and, and looked at the, the smokiness of his experience, God, if we're being real, we resonate with that. We resonate with the fact that life today is still smoky. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the life and hope that we have in you that, yes, we can begin to see that smoke clearing. We can begin to see new creation. We can begin to taste of um, a world made right. And you've called us to walk in that. And yet at the same time, God, we admit that there remains a whole bunch of smokiness, a whole bunch of heaven, a whole bunch of things that we can't quite figure it out, a whole bunch of things that we can't hold on to. But God, we thank you for the wisdom that you give, for the invitation to hold things with open hands, to be able to be free from pretending that we have it all figured out, to be free from um, trying to have it all figured out, to be free from um, the, the burden, really, of um, knowing it all. But instead, God, you invite us um, into relationship with you, um, that we can walk with you uh, even in the times when we don't know. That just because we can't figure it all out, just because we don't know uh, the full meaning of life doesn't mean that life is meaningless. And we see that so clearly in the cross, Lord. We see that so clearly in the story of, of redemption, of creation and new creation, of what you've come to do. And so, God, as we enter into a time of continued worship, we just want to praise you and remember that our hope, our hope is in you and in what you have done and in what you are yet to do, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.